welcome to Write It Down, a space to hear original written work read aloud by me, your host, Posey Lewis, and other creative writers. Our show brings voices to the airwaves that share creative insight into the world around us right now. I wrote the piece you're about to hear after an unexpected encounter with a roommate I wasn't aware I had. This is called Shedding. My childhood bedroom is at the highest point of my family's house. Before we renovated and the room became mine, it was our dark and unfinished attic, accessible only by pulling down a rickety wooden ladder from the ceiling of the second floor hallway. For the bulk of my childhood, I remember being forbidden to go up to the attic by myself, since there were sections of the floor that were so unstable you could actually fall through them and into the room below. But I thought about the attic often, as I stared at the ceiling of the room I shared with my brother. The attic was part of my house, yet I rarely got to see it. I loved that it was a space where old objects were kept, relics from my parents' lives before me, before each other, and many things that used to be mine. On the rare occasion that I was accompanied to the attic by one of my parents, They would have to pull me away from the bags of my old baby clothes or toys I barely remembered loving. It was so dark up there, just the light from one window, partially covered, barely saturating the haze of dusty air. I used a dim flashlight to hunt for the ages I'd grown out of. The objects I remembered weren't nearly as interesting as the ones I didn't, teasing hints that had me wondering how much of me is who I've always been, or if I wake up each day and become something a bit newer, always leaving something behind in the process. Our ghosts lived up in the attic, the pieces of ourselves that we had shed and packed away for safekeeping. When I was 11, we had the attic renovated and it became my bedroom. I couldn't believe I had a space all my own and that it used to be the enigmatic attic, no less. To make up for my family's loss of storage in our already small house, crawlspace cubbies were built into the walls that ran the length of the room. Everything that once lived in the dark corners of the attic was tucked behind new, freshly painted drywall, out of sight. The cubbies are only about two feet tall, since the slanted roof gives the room a cathedral quality, but you can access them through a series of tiny wooden doors that seem taken straight out of Alice in Wonderland. For the most part, we only dig into the cubbies a few times a year, mostly just to excavate Christmas decorations or to deposit bags of summer clothes when the seasons change. With the contents of the attic out of sight, but closer to me than they'd ever been, I stopped feeling so intrigued by them. The attic felt like it was gone. I almost started to resent the cubbies, since they were a part of my room that I still had to share. I no longer had any urge to root through them, to dig up some piece of me that I'd forgotten about. I would just open up one of the wooden doors every once in a while, shove in a new bag, box, or storage crate, and shut the door behind me. We painted the walls of my room white, one last move to counteract the dark and dingy quality that the attic always had. I like the white walls in my room, though, because of the way they let me watch the light, something that I never used to be able to do up there. 
As soon as I moved into my new room, my mom hung a small glass prism in the pointed window that used to be mostly covered up. In the late afternoon and evening, sunlight streams through the prism and casts dozens of small rainbows all over the slanted walls. I spent nearly every evening of my tween and teen years lying on my twin-sized bed, watching the rainbows slowly move across the white paint in a lazy current. As I grew up, and even after I moved away to college, I wanted to preserve my childhood in my room. I held on to the books I loved when I was 13, my nightstand painted with flowers and fairies, the strand of decorative dragonflies that hangs over my bed, pictures on the walls arranged exactly how I curated them when I was 15. I didn't want to let go of every object that gestured to my younger self by relegating them to the cubbies behind the walls. Instead, I wanted them to stay as they were, living fossils of the ages I'd grown out of, still there for me to see and feel close to in the afternoon light. Since I've moved back home after finishing my degree, I have a lot more stuff in my room than usual. A few weeks ago, I was cheerfully organizing and consolidating the piles of miscellaneous junk I'd accumulated when I decided to put a few things from my college apartment into the cubbies, a crate of old textbooks, a desk lamp, some decorative pillows. I selected one of the four tiny wooden doors, the one that I generally use the least, and tugged at the doorknob, which gave way with a satisfying clunk. A wave of hot, musty air washed over my face and I hacked a little bit, waiting a few seconds until the mustiness dissipated. It was the scent of the attic, perfectly preserved, smaller in size, but no less pungent. I reached my hands into the cubby to roll a silver suitcase over to the right, making more room for the items I hoped to fit inside. As I reached for another crate to shove backward a few inches, I began to hear a soft rustle. I yanked my hand from the cubby abruptly, my body instantly becoming still. The soft rustle was graduating to an animated shh sound, like a concentrated rainstorm happening right there in the little cubby. I leaned my head forward and took a closer look into the dim space where my fingers had just been, my eyes narrowing as they adjusted to the darkness, when I suddenly spotted something long and black coiled around a box of my old notebooks. And then, as the shh-ing began to get louder and my brain began to catch up, the black spiral started to move. I released a guttural sound somewhere between a gasp and a scream, scrambling backward like a distressed crab, slamming the door as fast as I could. Immediately, I heard the thud of my family's footsteps on the stairs, running to ensure that I wasn't gushing blood or suddenly missing a limb. When I managed to choke out the words, there's a snake in the crawl space, I received mixed reactions. My brother and my dad demonstrated the satisfying responses of shock and horror that mirrored my own. My mother, however, was thrilled. She loves snakes. They're misunderstood. She's always crying out anytime a snake is mentioned with even an ounce of fear or animosity. Once, she even rescued a black snake from a panicked cop in our neighborhood who was holding it away from his body with a pair of tongs and threatening to toss it into the river. When she picked it up, the snake wound around my mother's arm like it had met an old friend. She named it Piano for the way its black and white pattern reminded her of a keyboard. As baffling as her adoration for snakes was to the rest of us, 
you couldn't help but respect her love for a creature so commonly feared and despised. My dad drove her and the snake out to the country, his knuckles white against the steering wheel, and she released piano into safety. And so my mom had no sympathy for my terror. She responded as though I'd crossed paths with a newborn kitten, and her only words on the subject were, I wonder what message it has for you. I sat downstairs with my sympathetic father while he googled how to remove a snake from an attic. It was the first time since I moved up there that I remember us calling it the attic. We learned that snakes generally move between the lowest point of the house and the highest, traveling back and forth through the walls depending on temperature and availability of food. That was delightful news. I just wanted to get the snake out of my room. It's the year 2020. By now, I imagined that someone must have invented a perfectly effective and humane method for removing a snake from an undesirable location. In my small town of rural Maryland, the solution for most with a problem like mine would generally be, shoot it. And that was not going to happen. As my dad continued his Google search, he read aloud passages from snake aficionados that started to mirror what my mom has been saying all along that snakes are some of the most misunderstood creatures in the world, that they don't want to see you just as much as you don't want to see them. They aren't destructive or messy. The most violent thing they do when left to their own devices is unhinge their jaw and devour a mouse every once in a while, which I think is sort of badass. Black snakes are, as it turns out, largely harmless. Later on, my mom had taken the familiar book off the shelf. Animals speak the spiritual and magical powers of creatures great and small, which is always consulted when an animal encounter occurs in our household. My mom already had it open to the section on snakes. Read this, she said. To humor her, I sat down with the book and read the passage on snake totems and their symbolic nature. I learned that snakes are symbols of rebirth, new life, initiation, and wisdom, and they often function as guardians of sacred places. Some of the book's advice I didn't quite know how to take, like when it warns the reader to avoid snake people, since they may end up swallowing you whole. But one passage stood out to me in glaring focus, and it was this. Because it sheds its skin, the snake has long been a symbol of death and rebirth. It sheds its skin as it outgrows the old. This is associated with higher wisdom that comes with the passing of time. The image of the snake wrapped around my box of journals instantly popped into my head. I started writing in a journal when I was six years old and I never stopped. That box holds dozens of notebooks from over 15 years of shedding. I don't remember the last time I opened it. Days passed and I couldn't get those journals out of my head. So I decided to heed the snake's signal and go back to them. For the first time since the snake encounter, I gingerly opened the cubby door and heaved out the box. I grabbed one journal that was closest to the top, the one that's pink and embossed with a Hello Kitty graphic, complete with a lock that's now broken from when I was first learning to write. I flipped through and was able to decipher some entries about going to the movies, playing on my swing set, and contemplating mint chocolate chip ice cream. I set it aside. Next, 
I reached for a blue and silver horse-themed journal that made a plasticky squeak when I opened the front cover. This was from fourth grade. I swooped my Y's and my G's with extra verve to emulate a girl in my class whose handwriting I envied. Then I picked up a big spiral notebook printed to look like an atlas from the summer after my junior year of high school. On those pages are the days with my first boyfriend, growing pains in all their forms, and my grief about leaving home for college. I wrote with an almost maddening frequency that summer, the pen almost pushing through the paper. Everything I wrote down in these journals felt so important at the time. I remembered that feeling as I read through each page. But none of it seems relevant anymore. I'm living at home again, surrounded by all these things I've shed, and sometimes I'll think I'm hearing the rustle of the snake wafting out from behind the tiny wooden doors. It sends a slight tingle up my spine, but I don't mind. The two of us are doing the same thing. Write It Down airs weekly here on WHCP at a time to be announced. Our show features original musical scoring by Levi Lewis, who is so good at saying, I'll try, instead of, I can't. Write It Down is a space to be less polished and more open. With that in mind, if you have something to say or a story to tell, write it down and share it with someone you love, bury it in the dirt, or send it to writeitdown at whcp.org and your voice could be heard on the show. Join the conversation by following us on Instagram at writeitdown.whcp. I'm your host, Posey Lewis, writing my way through with you.